Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. So, uh, let, let, me, let me just say this before we shift gears. Uh, this morning, I think we all have an opportunity. Uh, it's no different than every time when we come into the house of God. We can either come with an attitude that says, hey, I'm here, uh, you know, whatever. I, I'm here, let's get through it. Or we can come in and we can say, you know what, I have faith and I have expectation that God's going to talk to me today. And, uh, and I believe that when we come to the table with that kind of expectation, the Bible simply says if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us and he'll speak to us. In fact, I believe what I'm going to preach today, forewarning, it is long, but I think what I'm going to preach to you today uh, has the ability to change your life dramatically if you will let it. Amen? So if you can, stir yourself, have faith, let's press in a little bit this morning, and uh, let's be one of those talkback church today. You know what those are? Yes, when you talk back. There we go. Jesus, we so thank you for your presence here today. Lord, we love you and we adore you. And Father, we believe, God, that whatever the scenario has been, whatever our week has been like, God, we believe that this morning is a divine appointment from you. God, we don't believe we're here by accident, but God, we believe that you want to speak to us. And so, Lord, we choose to open up our hearts because you said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so, Lord, we want to know that when we leave this place today that we've been filled with your presence, we've been filled with your glory, that we've been filled with your joy, God. Father, we want to know that we know that we know that you spoke to us, God, and that you're rearranging and you're reshaping things in our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, I just thank you for breaking any uh, spirit of heaviness, any confusing spirit off of anybody. And I pray for an open heaven over every single person today to be able to receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, for the past few days, I've actually been thinking about how uh, when we want to get to know who someone is, we typically ask them, you know, hey, tell me about yourself. And, and most people, when they, when they hear that question, tell me about yourself, uh, they normally respond to, uh, you know, by saying, hey, here's what job I have. This is my family. This is my hobbies. This is my home. These are things that I'm interested in. And uh, the reason I think we do that is because those are all things that we as people tend to most identify ourselves by. Now, one of the things behind that, uh, that thought process to me that, personally, uh, that I personally find interesting is this, is how it plays out in our everyday choices. Watch this. Sociologists call this uh, process conspicuous consumption, which simply means we actually choose to purchase things not because the functionality of the product, but rather the identity or the image that we hope it will produce and it will create for us. So, which in return causes us to uh, spend money we don't have, right, on things that we don't need, don't like, like you've never been there, to impress people that we really don't know, all for what? Because we're trying our best to answer that question that so many of us struggle with and so many of us uh, find a hard time finding confidence in. It's in the question of this, is who am I? In other words, it's that age-old question about our identity, Now, the simple point I'm trying to make here is by saying that this is how people tend to interact, this is how people tend to do life, all I'm trying to say is, look, is that eternal struggle that you and I both face, both wrestle with on a nonstop basis, right, of being confident in our identity isn't as uncommon as we would like to think. If you know that's true, say, oh, yeah. So, listen, especially for those who have chosen to yield and to surrender 
uh, our lives to God, right? Truthfully, I think we as believers have an even bigger target on our backs because the Bible makes it really clear that Satan will do whatever he can to strategically attack us to keep our minds and our hearts from shifting into our God-given identity. So why does he do this? It's like we mentioned last Sunday. We said this, that Satan's strategy is to steal our identity in order to stop our assignments because our assignments, like Jesus's, will crush him and set people free who are presently being held by his darkness. If you know that's true, say yes. Yes. Listen, so once again, one of the ways the enemy tries to come in our lives and to stop us from moving forward is by attacking our perceived identity. Not our real identity, but our perceived identity with all some inferiority and insecurity. At these, what happens, it's not just this constant thing, but it's at these strategic moments in our life when God's really trying to shift us into a new level or a new place of destiny uh, or a new assignment. He comes and he does that because he's hoping that we will buy into the inferiority, we will buy into the insecurity, and by doing so that we'll disqualify ourselves from what God has called us to do. So listen, um, I don't think it's an accident when you actually begin to uh, consider all that that we just said, that statistics say that 87% of the church doesn't know their God-given purpose. That's a staggering thought. And and may I just suggest to you today, the reason 87% of the church doesn't know their divine purpose, they don't know why they wake up in the morning, they don't know what they're, you know, called to go get it, is because they simply, I'll say it this way, 87% don't know their calling because 87% don't know their identity. They don't believe it, right? In other words, they can, they can maybe quote the scriptures with the best of them, but, but they don't really believe it. It hasn't moved from here to here, and it's not formulating, it's not moving in their lives, right? And so they remain at this dead standstill uh, when God has so much more for them. So, listen, I just think this, that you and I will never connect to our purpose, much less complete our purpose to the fullness God had in mind when he created us, once again, until we settle in our hearts our identity. It goes back to last week before we uh, basically will never be able to do the what until we settle the who, right? And our who's our identity. So listen, with all that in mind, I'm just trying to get us a course direction today. My, my simple prayer for us in this moment is that God would come in here today and that hopefully he would move in our heart in such a way that he would help us discover that our identity is rooted in something better yet someone much deeper than our job, than our family ties, than our hobbies, right, than our home, our interests, our education, our bank account, our circle of friends, our talents, or whatever you tend to throw into that conversation. Man, I want you to know today that the bottom line is that God doesn't want us searching for our identity in temporal things of this world. When he is what? Because he has already settled in our, settled our true identity in his eternal and his unconditional love for us. Like it's settled, right? Our identity is settled in him. That he wants us to actually trust in him. He wants us to have confidence in him, not in the things of this world. If you're with me, say yes. All right, so listen, let's shift gears. Um, I want you to know today that while it's true that Satan will gladly attack us and attempt to keep us from making the necessary identity shifts, we'll need to fulfill our destiny Over the years, I personally learned that there are times in our lives where the enemy doesn't have to do a single thing. The reason is, is because we, not him, but we are so busy hindering, delaying, and stopping ourselves by believing that the source of our identity can be found in something other than God himself. 
You've done it. I've done it. We've all done it, right? So we're in great company today. So let's dive into this. Let me explain what I mean by this. Two Sundays ago, we highlighted and we sat on 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12. And that verse was about David, and it simply said this. It says, and David perceived. Somebody say perceived. It says that David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. Now, if you can remember, we said that if it's true that David suddenly perceived or suddenly became aware or suddenly uh, discerned or understood that he was king, then that must mean that he did not perceive it before this moment in time. Now, once again, what makes this statement so interesting, what makes this verse so unique is that actually that the crown was resting on David's head and people have been calling him king, not for a day, not for a month, not for a year, but actually seven years. Yet David still did not perceive that he was king. And so I just think this, that it's quite obvious, like many of us, that David didn't see or think of himself in the same way as others and more importantly, as God did. So listen, in that sermon we focused on why David struggled so much with that. Uh, But today I want to actually turn our attention and I want us to uh, just basically unpack a portion of scripture and I want us to look at a few things that David would have been tempted to find his identity in. And the reason I want to do this, the purpose I want to do this is because I think you and I uh, are constantly struggling with some of the same things. And I'm hoping it'll help us break some of that stuff off our lives so we can run in the direction that God wants us to a little bit better. Amen? So to do this, I want to back up, and I actually want to read 2 Samuel chapter 5 in context. We're going to read this fast, and then we'll unpack it. It says this in chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your flesh, your own flesh and blood. It says, In the past, when Saul was our king, it was you who led Israel out to war and brought Israel in from battle. And the Lord told you, You will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders or tribal leaders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in all. He reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months, and from Jerusalem he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. Verse 6 says, David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. And the Jebusites actually had the courage to taunt David, saying, You'll never get in here. Even the blind and the lame, the weakest among you, could keep you out. How stupid can you be and still breathe? Like you don't poke the bear, right? Anyways, like if you'd want to say that, David's not the guy to say that too. Anyway, so it says, For the Jebusites thought they were safe because their walls were impenetrable. But David and his men went through the water tunnels, what uh, another verse says, and captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. So David made the fortress or the stronghold his home, and he called it the city of David. And he built all around the surrounding areas, extending the city. It says, And David became more and more powerful because the Lord God of heaven's army was with him. Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with cedar timber and carpenters and stonemasons. They built David a palace. And there's our key verse. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. All right. As I've been thinking about this passage of scripture, there were uh, six things that stuck out to me concerning David. And uh, five were things that 
David, I believe, could have been tempted to find his identity in. And the last one, and maybe we'll get there, uh, at least in my opinion, is the key that actually helped David unlock his identity. So, so once again, let's unpack this. If you're taking notes, here's number one. In my opinion, that the first place that David could have been tempted to find his identity in was in the people. Please don't blow me off here today. It was in the people. God's going to talk to you. 2 Samuel chapter 5 says, Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. Let's pause there. Listen, on surface level, I believe these verses look, uh, you know, they look really innocent, right? Like that verse looks super innocent. It looks like they are truly desiring to honor David uh, for who he is. But I believe if you kind of open the hood for a moment and you look a little deeper, that we'd actually find that that simple statement, we are your own flesh and blood, came attached to a truckload of expectations. Watch this, not just from one person or five people or a hundred people, but from every single person who made up the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, let's bring this thought over to us for a moment, and you may disagree with this, and it's fine. But, but listen, have you ever noticed that it would appear like every person, and when I, mean, when I say every person, I mean every person, right? From our family members, our friends, our coworkers, folks, you know, whatever that we go to church with, on down the line to the fella that's standing in the line, you know, the checkout line behind us at Walmart. Like, literally every person has an expectation for us. Am I the only one that's ever noticed that? Listen, and what is the expectation? Once again, I'm trying to dumb it down. It's simply this, that they want us to make them happy. Right? That they, that they want us to make them happy. And how are we going to do that? By becoming and being who they want us to be. Now, obviously I can't speak for anyone else in this room, but I can say for me, okay? Uh, remove the fact that I'm a pastor for a moment, just as an individual who values and loves relationships for me, because I love people so much, man, it tears me up when I know someone is either uh, upset with me, offended with me, or just plain doesn't like me for whatever reason. Right? Am I the only one? No? Like, like half of y'all are like, great. You're like the old grumpy grandpa on the porch. Get out of the yard, kids. I mean, that's like, maybe you're okay with it. I'm not okay with it, right? And, and I'll just say it this way. Let truth be like, a hundred people could come and say, you know, PQ, you're awesome. You're amazing. We absolutely love you. But you let that one person show up at the doorstep and say, man, uh, you did not meet my expectation in X, Y, Z. And, and, and man, I'm going to let you know that, that those hundred people, man, they're, they're, their love and their compliments fades away quickly. And it's like, man, uh, uh, like a, I don't know, like a stake got planted in the ground. And that one person that I let down, man, that consumes my thoughts and my emotions, my prayer life, and all those things far more than I would like to admit. And it typically stays longer than I would like to admit, right? But listen, with that said, and I'm hoping that this will free some of us up, if being a, a parent for 14 years and if being married for 18 years and if being a leader for 25 years and being alive for 43 years, if any of that has taught me anything, if life has taught me anything, I'd say it would be these two things. We'll throw up the next slide. Number one is simply this. Is that, guess what? Is that... You're never going to make everybody happy. Like, I will never make everyone happy. Like, like, I realize in this room, every single person, if you really know me or not, maybe it's at different levels, has expectations for me. That's a lot of pressure. Can I be honest with you? Because it wasn't just y'all. There was a first service too. 
and then there's a community, right? And, and, and so, so listen, that, that's a lot of expectations to meet from people. And I've just realized, you know, we're never going to make everybody happy. Even in this sense, it's like when you came in, did enough people greet you? Did enough people say hello to you? When worship started, was the volume right? Was it too loud or was it too low? Did we sing the song that you wanted? My point is, is man, it's like it is impossible. Even in a short little, uh, you know, 30 minutes that we've been here, we didn't even succeed in making everybody happy. Come on, it's okay to smile. Like, I'm okay with that, right? And so the second thing I've learned is this, is that everyone isn't going to like me. They're just not, right? That everyone is not going to like me as much as I maybe want them to, right? So, so watch this. Here's the freeing part that I want to get to. Is that if I try to change my identity to meet uh, whatever, this family member's expectation, then I uh, run over here and I change my identity to meet my friend's expectations. And then I, again, I run over here to change my identity to meet my co-worker's expectation. And then I run over here to change my identity to meet the person at church's expectation. And then I put on my mask because I've got my Walmart mask, right? And, and literally what I picture in my head, it's like people like, like I see someone's mom calling, and when they see that's mom calling, they grab their mom mask and put on those expectations, and they talk to their mom, right? So like some of them, they take that off, and they grab this mask. Oh, this is who I need to be for my husband. Oh, this is who I need to be for my kids. Am I making sense to you? And it's like, man, we're going from one identity to the next identity. Why? Because we're trying to make everybody happy, right? And I just think this, man, if I base my identity off trying to make everyone happy, eventually I'm going to lose sight of who God made me to be because I'm so consumed with the idea of becoming who everybody else wants me to be. So, gang, please hear me, what I'm about to say. We have to settle in our hearts. I'm talking to myself, too. Listen, that the goal is for us to know who we are in Him, not who we are in them. Right? That, that I have to get to a spot that I don't find any value for my own identity from what y'all think about me. That doesn't mean i got to be mean and i got to be a jerk. That just means I'm secure in who I am in Him. Amen? Am I making sense? So, so I just think this, according to Ephesians 2.10, man, we are called to be his workmanship, not their workmanship. Like we're creating his image, not their image, right? That we are, uh, he's our creator, he's our judge, not them. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, not them. So y'all, please listen to me. So as long as we're asking how high every time someone says jump, I want you to know that it will be impossible to become whole in Christ. Great place to say Amen. Listen, instead we will be, what, we'll remain in fragments with a little bit of us here, a little bit of us there, a little bit over there, right? All in attempt for what? Because we're trying to gain everybody's approval. <laughs> so I'm going to repeat what I said a while ago. When we choose to live like that, y'all hear me, when we choose to live like that, the devil doesn't have to do a single thing because we are being successful enough without his help, at destroying our own God-given identity. So if we realize it or not, the truth is, is to be consumed with the approval of man is to be consumed with the fear of man. So in my, in my life, if I say this, okay, I want to make this decision, but what are all of these people going to think about it? Well, I don't do it. Because I'm not sure what they'll think about it. And it's funny because most of them say, well, I got three friends that would approve, and then I got somebody else that wouldn't. Dad would approve, mom wouldn't approve. 
Right? And, and so what we do is we live in this limbo and this constant going back and forth, and we can't ever just settle in our hearts. But once again, we got to get to a spot. You know what? No, 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 no. Block out all those voices. Jesus said it. I'm going to do it. Right? So listen, I just think, once again, the Bible tells us this for a reason. And most of us can quote this verse in here, Proverbs 29, 25. It's the Amplified. It says, the fear of man or intimidation brings a snare. Get that. Seeking the approval of man nonstop. Man, it's a trap, right? But whoever trusts in and puts his confidence in the Lord, for what? For his or her value, for his or her worth, for his or her uh, identity. What will happen with that person? They will be exalted. They'll be elevated. They'll be lifted up, and they'll be kept safe. Where are they kept safe? Mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So if we can, listen, for a moment, let's shift our attention back over to David. Uh, can you imagine with me for a moment, uh, you know, just being David and, and trying to meet or trying to fulfill every person's expectation? I don't know if this is landing. But, but listen, th- that is like you and I trying to make every single person, numerically, uh, every single person in New, uh, New England happy. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't even do, uh, I don't even make everybody happy in my own house. <laughs> right? Like, I don't. Like, like, there's only, there's six other people outside of me. Yeah, I said six, okay? Outside of me, and I cannot even make all those people happy and meet all their expectations, much less the church I'm called to lead, much less the city I live in. Yeah, Lord Jesus, help us, right? So, listen, I could be wrong, but I think there's something freeing in this, that when we actually stop and you go, man, why didn't David fall into the temptation? I think it was because of what he saw happen with his predecessor, who was King Saul. Let's quickly look at what happened with him, and it'll give us a good lesson on why we don't need to fall into the trap. It says in chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 24, it says, Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. Here's why he disobeyed. For I feared, or for I was afraid of the people, the people, and did what they demanded. In other words, as their king, guess what? I needed their approval, and so guess what? I, I did what they expected because that's the only way I could get their approval. But watch this, but, what it, but at what price did Saul pay to get some, uh, you know, small number of people's approval? It says this, but Samuel said, since you have rejected the Lord's command, he, God, has rejected you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the helm of his robe. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has turned, uh, torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. Who was he talking about? Some of David, right? So watch this. We go back into what we talked about last week. This is another example of how things... Uh, You know, basically that when Saul lost uh, his who, when he lost his identity, he failed in completing what, right? When he lost his identity, he failed in his what, which was his assignment, all because he, what, tried to find his identity in people uh, that God gave him to lead. And thankfully, David didn't make the same mistake. Hopefully, that came out okay. Second place I believe David could have been tempted to find his identity in was the past, The past. We're going to help some of y'all again. Watch what the people said when they came to David. Verse 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. Remember us, David. 
And then he said this, in the past, in the past, when Saul was our king, it was you who led Israel to war and brought Israel in from battle. So listen, just like we said a few minutes ago, on surface level, once again, it looks like these guys are trying to, uh, you know, they're desiring to honor David for uh, what he had already accomplished for them, right, as a nation. Uh, but I believe, once again, crack open that hood, if we're going to take a deeper look, then maybe we'll remember that uh, in David's past, that yes, there were some amazing things, right? Like David did some really cool stuff. But David also lived like 15 lives by the time we were here at 37 years old. And his life was also full of difficult events and really difficult seasons as well. So in light of that, here's what I find really interesting. Here's the point I want to make to all of us. Is that even though other people may have pointed out David's past, it seems like he never did. And, you know, obviously we have this one spot where he comes and obviously Goliath, you know, breathing his threats. And, you know, the army of Israel and the army of the Philistines are lined up together. And we know that he comes out, hollers, and everybody's shaking in fear. Uh, it is only at that moment to my recognition where, where actually David went to Saul and he said, uh, you know, King Saul. And he said, look, I have killed a bear and I've killed a lion that God was with me to do that. And God will be with me to do this. That's the only time I ever remember him actually referring to something in his past, but, but it wasn't on him, it was on God, right? And so what I'm trying to get at is this, is that we never see David bragging about that time he got to play his harp for the king. We never see David bragging that he killed the giant named Goliath. Watch this, but on the same note, because most of us don't have a problem with that, but we also never find David talking about how his father didn't believe in him, how his father rejected him. We don't find him talking about how his brother was jealous about him. We don't find him talking about how the king lied to him and tried to kill him. In other words, we don't ever see him having a pity party over here because of all the bad things that happened with him. What I'm trying to say is he didn't, he didn't set up camp and say, this is my identity and all the great things I've done. But at the same time, he didn't come over here and go, you know, here's all the awful stuff that's happened to me in this life. And now I'm putting my identity around that either. Both are a trap, Right? So the point is this, is that we never see David give permission to his past highs or his past lows to define him or to box him into some false identity, even if everybody else was. So with that in mind, I just want to throw out a thought. Listen, there's no doubt in this room today that there's people in this room that have had tremendous highs in their life. Like, you've done stuff that's super awesome. Like, go get it, right? And then there's some people in here that you've had some devastating lows in your life. And some of those lows have been things that have been done to you. And some, for some of you, it's been your own self-inflicted mistakes that you have made that have caused great damage not only to your life, but it's ruined relationships and it's hurt other people. Right? Like, like I got some on both ends. Okay? So there's no judgment in that. But, but I think we need to remember what the, when the Apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians 3. He said, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Somebody say one thing. What's the one thing you focus on? Forgetting the past. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Guys, listen, when Paul wrote that, he really meant that all things can be covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? All things, yes? Watch this. Therefore, like David, let this sink deep. Our mistakes don't define us or determine our identity any more than our victories do. So we don't have to camp in the past any longer. Amen?
Amen. Let me say this. We'll move to our next point. Because here's kind of the way I, uh, in my heart, my mind's eye, the way I kind of see some people, okay? Is this until you, until you, or until we, let me say we, until we stop finding our identity in our past, our lives are going to resemble basically the person who is sitting at a red light, right? They're in a car, car's running, and because they're so busy staring at their rearview mirror, right, trying to see everything behind them, right? Everything that's in their past, right? What happens is, guess what? The, the lights turn green, and they don't even know it, right? And now they're holding up traffic, right? And, and if I could just say, this might sound a little bit cheesy today, but if I could say, man, I just hear the Holy Spirit going, toot, toot. Yeah, yeah, listen, y'all listen, please listen to me. He, especially if you're from a legalistic background, he's not, he's not doing this. He's not doing that. He's trying to give you a toot toot. Okay, and, and here's what he's saying, I think, to you today. For you guys who are in the past, y'all hear me. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. He's saying this, man, you need to let it go. It's time to move forward. To understand, I've got too big of plans for you, for you to stay in your past. And, and to understand, no, you're not just holding traffic up, man, you're holding your life up. Right? Like, God is wanting to do things. He's wanting to speak to you. He's wanting to use you. He's wanting to release his blessing, his anointing to you. He's wanting to shift you into greater levels of influence. But because you're so busy staring at the rearview mirror, you're holding it all up. You're causing it to be delayed. And I'm trying to tell you, it's time to let it go. Listen, some of y'all need to uh, let it go with a certain individual so you can move forward, okay? And letting go with a certain individual doesn't mean you move on. It just means you need to let go of the infractions. You need to forgive so you can get free, right? Amen? Amen. Toot, toot. All right, here we go. Third place, I got to hustle up. The third place I think David found his identity in or was tempted to find his identity in was in the anointing. Now, listen, I realize in this room that what I'm about to say uh, may not land on everyone's doorstep, but I think it's going to land on a few people's doorsteps, so I'm willing to say it, okay? So, 2 Samuel chapter 5. So there Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders, tribe leaders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. You know, one thing that I really like about David, I, I, I'll just is you find that in total he was anointed three times, right? Like he was anointed as a young man by Samuel. He was anointed when he became the king of Judah, and he was anointed here for his third and final time to be the king of Israel. But, but one thing you never find David doing, which I love, and, and y'all hear me, please, especially if you're a young gun in here, you don't ever see David going, uh, you know, Samuel comes to his house, right? He's, he anoints him, and the first thing he does is he celebrates, he stands up, and he tells his brothers, I've been anointed by God, you better bow at, bow at my feet, right? He doesn't run off to the local, you know, print shop and get, you know, whatever, cards made that I'm, I'm the next king of Israel, and he's passing them out of town. You, you know, you don't find him doing that. You know, actually what the Bible says after he was anointed, it said he went back and he just took care of the flock, that's where you find a real David, right? And so I just think uh, if he would have put his, if he would have allowed those things to become his identity, he would have become very prideful to do those things, right? So, so let me kind of give it to you like this, though. In my opinion, each one of these anointings from God, all three, were a physical sign that God was not only setting David apart, 
but he was also empowering David to perform the calling he had placed on David's life. Did y'all get that? The setting him apart, he empowered him to do what God called him to do. But I also said like this, that every time David was anointed, it represented God was God's basically elevation, right? Every time God was anointing him, God was elevating him to another level that he could not naturally obtain or possess by the flesh. Let that sink deep, please. See, so often you thought, well, David, man, he, he read uh, basically the art of war, the book. So he had to be a great leader. At, you know, he knew the strategies. Or maybe he read every one of John Maxwell's books on leadership, so he understood how to be a leader. No, 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 no. Listen, his knowledge and his wisdom and his strength and his handsomeness and all those things did not get David where he was at. It was the anointing that got David where he was at. Right? His flesh couldn't get him there. God got him there. And so I just think this, that, um, you know, basically the same goes for us, okay? And, and I, think, I think so often... When we hear the word anointing, we think, okay, it's somebody that's singing, it's somebody that's preaching, and we, and we you know, box the anointing in to this thing that's only for people that are in ministry. But I want you to know that the Bible actually says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that every single believer is anointed. It, l- listen, at the end of the day, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus, lives inside of you. You can't get any more anointed than that. Okay? So... But I think, you know, basically when it comes to this idea that we're all anointed, there's one verse that I kind of always go back to. Let me read it to you here in Exodus 31, and I'm trying to hustle up. It says this, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen uh, Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Watch this. I have filled or I have anointed him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, great ability and expertise in all kinds of preaching. And all kinds of singing? No, 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 no. Crafts. <laughs> crafts. Not, not, not like craft booking, but, but crafts, right? So listen, it says, He is a master craftsman or builder, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. Isn't that cool? Like, I love this passage because it shows us not only does God give us our ability, but when we actually surrender our lives to him, he anoints, he sets apart, he empowers, he elevates those abilities to bring the, uh, what glory to him and to fulfill his purpose in the earth. So listen, if there's ever been this lie that's in your head that says that, you know, look, if a guy preaches or somebody sings in the worship or if they're in children or whatever, if they're in leadership, that somehow they're elevated in God's eyes a little more. No, 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 no. Listen, there's an anointing for the marketplace that's equal to the anointing to preach. Okay, it's just different scenarios and we got to be content and not try to find our identity in something that God hasn't called us to. Amen. Amen. Listen, I've seen many, many, many people do that. Please don't do that. Okay, so I'll just say this in my notes. Listen, once again, this means that God has anointed carpenters. He's anointed real estate agents. He's anointed teachers and coaches. And guess what? He will anoint you as well. Amen. So, listen, when, when I was working on this, I, I kept thinking about uh, that scene from Chariots of the Fire. And I, I've never seen the movie. I've only seen this one scene like a few times when they all have that, I don't know, we, um, just like, I don't know, those white clothes on, right? Anyways, <laughs> trying to be nice here, okay? So, anyways, we have that nice white flowy guards on, and they're all running down the beach. And there's that moment where my man Eric starts uh, flailing in his running style, right? And obviously we know he's an Olympic runner. If you've ever seen the movie, that was a believer. But he said this. He said that when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. 
Right? And what I'm trying to tell you today is, listen, is if you want to know where God has anointed you, look for the find that you find his pleasure. Right? Because if you find his pleasure, you'll find where he's anointed you. Better than you realize. Amen? Listen, I just think it's this, man. It's just like, find the joy and go, man, that's where God has anointed me. Find a place where you go, man, I was born for this. That's where God's anointed you. If it's a place you go, oh my God, I hate this. That's not where the anointing's at. Okay? So, so let me make this personal, and, and, and we'll try to wrap this thing up soon. Um, I'm going to tell you where I realized some of this in my own life is there's been times where I have felt, and some of you guys know what I'm talking about, where I have felt the anointing come upon me, right? Either to preach, to teach, to give words of knowledge, to witness, lay hands and pray for somebody. Uh, and there's been times where I have felt the anointing come so strong that the only way I can resist is it was like electricity pumping through my body. Okay, and in those times, it's like words come easy. Man, you're talking about a whole nother level of bravery and courage. It's like there's such a knowing of what God is doing. But, but, but here's what I had to learn. Watch this. Is that every single time, guess what? That the anointing came, it left just as quick. Right? Like I remember a time distinctively where, where I was in prayer one morning, I was at a retreat, and I had this little window that I was asked to share. And while I was praying, the God, God spoke one word to me, chosen, and he began to show me about people. And I remember I got up, and, 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 I, and I stood there. It was such a small guy. I didn't have a mic. And, and I just stood there, and I just said, this morning I was praying, God said, you were chosen. When I said that word, it was like, bolt of lightning hit me. I preached like a man on fire for about five minutes. Most of the room was weeping and crying. And then guess what? I turned and it lifted. <laughs> Here's what I realized after that happened a few times. Is guess what? The anointing lifted, but guess what didn't lift? Guess what remained? All those feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, and brokenness that I had before. So listen, it took me years to learn this truth. But listen, like David, God will never anoint us to prove who we are. He anoints us to prove who He is. Okay, and, and listen, some of y'all in this room, you've been so blessed by God in your life. I want you to understand that God's blessing in your life has not been to prove who you are. It's been to prove who He is. Right? That's why favor is there. It's all, it's all about Him, guys. Yeah? And, and so, listen, I spent years trying to find or locate my identity and some feeling of some anointing. And I realized after a while, guess what? That's not changing me. That's not healing me. And guess what? So that means it would be really foolish if I uh, tried to find my identity in those things. So maybe I need to stop. Maybe it's elsewhere. Yeah? Number four. Here we go. Number four is simply David could have been tempted to find him in the victories. Say again, the victories. We'll go back to verse six. It says this. Basically that David led... His men to Jerusalem fight against the Jebusites. We know that they taunted him. Verse 7 simply says this, but David captured the fortress. He got the victory when nobody else thought he would, right? But David captured the victory. Now watch this. In all reality, was this David's first victory? I mean, we're 37 years old. Okay, once again, his first victory, bear, 
moved to the lion, moved to the giant. Then he started getting invited to go out to war. And then he was, you know, slaying folks. And then he said, okay, well, this guy, let's let him lead the army. So now he's leading the army. So it's victory after victory after victory. So much so they even started singing a song. Saul, sing, you know, basically Saul kills his thousand, David kills his ten thousands. That's the guy's life that's marked with victory, wouldn't you say? But, but watch this. Here's the point I want to make. Take, for example... When David faced off with Goliath, what did that short battle require? It required David to have faith in God for a moment. So remember how it went down. Goliath, we know he took his stand in the field. He mocked David, and David simply responded by this. He said, I come against you in the name or the identity of the Lord God Almighty. And literally with one flick of the wrist, it was over. So, listen, the point is, is in that fight, David had faith in God's identity, not his own. Remember what the Bible says to us. It says, thanks be to God, not ourselves, thanks be to God who always gives us triumph, always gives us victory. Right? So, listen, while it's true that it takes faith for you and I to win our spiritual battles, uh, what, what happens, though, when the battle is over? Are you all awake today? Like, what happens when the battle is over? You see, my, my point that I'm trying to get across, and hopefully this is good enough language for us to understand, is that the reason David never tried to find his identity and his victories was because he understood that his faith, just like ours, was in God's ability, not our own, to win the battle, which meant that if he was ever going to sit on the throne, then it would require more than faith because faith surges, comes and goes, right? But identity, if he was going to sit on the throne, it had to remain. Right? And so his identity had to be established in something else than a brief moment, a brief victory, a brief moment of faith. Okay? Listen, once again, I think the same goes for us. You know, I'll say this for some of us that are maybe from different uh, churches. Sometimes churches teach that almost like, man, if, if you have great faith, it's faith, it's faith. That's always the conversation. Faith, faith. Got to have this amount of faith. And I think that they try to get people to find their identity and their level of faith. And that's wrong. Okay, because our faith is a way to access God's power, right? But once again, if we want to become who God's called us to be, it has to do with our identity. Yes? The fifth thing is this, and once again, I'm going to talk to maybe, maybe some men, but I think it talks to women too. Are y'all okay? Yeah. Number five is this, is the fifth place David could have been tempted is in the assignment. It says this in verse 9. So David made the fortress his home, and he called it the city of David, and he built all around the surrounding area. When you look historically, you find out that when David conquered the Jebusites and he took over Jerusalem, basically their, their power went, uh, or, or basically city, was, was basically 6,000 uh, yeah, 6, acres. And David, over his years of becoming king, expanded that uh, over 60,000. So what's my point? It says, and David became more and more powerful. In other words, David was obviously really, really good at his job. Like, we have some people in here that are really, really good at their job, right? Now, listen to what I'm going to say, though. Even though our assignments can reveal or bring clarity to our identity, they were never meant to become the source of our identity. So, once again, this might sound cheesy, but remember, man, we're human beings, not human doings. So that means that this, that we need to find our source of life and our source of purpose and being with God and being with God in relationship, not what we can do for Him. 
right? So listen, even though God's got great plans for our lives in this room, guys, you got to understand that he never meant for those plans to define or to identify us. And I just think this, unfortunately, it's really easy, and I'm going to talk about my, even myself here, it is really easy to make the mistake of thinking our God-given assignments are our God-given identity. Let me say this because I feel like I need to say it. It's really easy even for a mom that stays at home with her children to put her identity in her children. That's not where your identity is. That's an assignment that you have to steward your children. But you're not, you know, your, your title is not mom to God. Come on, somebody needs to smile at me. It's okay. And I just think this, man, when we transition our lives and we lose sight of our identity and we try to make what we do our job. In other words, when somebody says, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm this. Then that means I have found my identity in my assignment. And here's the problem with that, though. The moment you cross that line, you swap over what you used to find the pleasure of the Lord in. Now you're going to find that, man, it's a pretty, it's a pretty hefty taskmaster. Right? What I used to find joy, now it's a burden. Now things daggum killing me and I'm drained and I'm tired. Because why? Because I've lost my joy and my assignment because I've made it my identity. If you're with me, so yeah. Let me throw up this next quote. We'll read it and we'll move on. If our identity is in our work rather than Christ, success will go to our heads and failure will go to our hearts. So good. Therefore, as believers, our work or our assignment should no longer be the source of our identity, but the rightful expression of it. Do you understand that what you do is where you get to express who you are in the kingdom? Amen? All right, let's land this. If y'all can, give me like five more minutes and we'll be done, okay? Um, Once again, we said there's five things that I feel like that David could have been tempted by, but there's a sixth thing that I felt like, guess what, that, that if David allowed it, it would have unlocked his identity for him. And I think this is the thing that David landed on that unlocked his heart so he can make the identity shift to go into his destiny to become king. Here's what I believe God chose to use. Number six is I believe he chose to use the king. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can say another king. That God actually used another king to help David make this shift. Look back to verse 10. It says, And David became more and more powerful because the Lord God of heaven's army was with him. Watch the next words. Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with cedar timber and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built David a place. And then David perceived it was unlocked that the Lord had established him king over Israel. So, listen, before we move on, let it be known that at the end of the day, Jesus is the king of kings, right? And so he's the one that really sets the atone of who we are because he's the one who created us. But, but I want to point out that it would appear like the catalyst moment in David's life that it literally happened when recognition came about who he is from another king. It said, then King Hiram, right? So listen, I, I realize what I'm about to say may not mean much, but I'm going to tell you why this verse means so much to me uh, because I've seen God use it in my life, okay? Listen, about 10 years ago, um, Pastor Brian, some of you guys were here, Pastor Brian left this church and, you know, he handed over the, the basically the, the baton to another pastor and he moved back to North Carolina and came on staff with us down there in the church. And, and when he did that, uh, he, when he came, he talked a whole lot about the four stages of a person's life, four stages of a man's life, and uh, basically, he was pulling it from John Eldridge's book, Fathered by God. 
In the four stages that he said that's of every person's life is number one, there's a cowboy face being little kids. Number two, it's basically being a warrior. That's where you're a teenager, a young man, where, where, where that's the part that's in you. And then basically you transition as you get older into uh, the phase of a king, and then you move basically to retirement, and you become a sage, and then it becomes about pouring to the generations behind you. Am I making sense? So listen, as he would talk and he would describe these four phases, I recognized, okay, Quint Self at that time, man, he, he was in the warrior phase. And I don't know why I did this, but for some reason in my head, I just said, you know what? Uh, when the day comes when God transitions me from being a youth pastor, college group pastor, uh, school ministry pastor, the things, whatever, that we were all doing and all that, when he transitions me from that spot and, and brings me into a spot where I'm a leader, uh, lead pastor, then that's going to be the moment that I'm going to move from the warrior to the king. Not so much like king, I'm on my throne. Eh, that's not what I mean, but simply that it was God's maturing of responsibility and growing up that the anointing is going to shift in my life to go from that phase to this phase. And so anyways, so I, I don't know if I ever said that to anyone, that that's the way that I viewed that. But when that transition comes, that's what's going to happen in the spirit realm from the Lord. And so I just had that thought. And then there came that day where I was praying and I've told you guys this before. The Lord spoke to me and said, hey, I'm sending you to Maine. And uh, in that point, I, at that moment, I didn't like I've said before, I didn't see myself as, oh, I'm the king, right? Like I didn't see myself. I still saw myself very much as a warrior, okay? And so what happened was is I began to pray, okay, Lord, I'm like 99.9% .9 sure that was you. Ever been there? Uh, but if it wasn't, Lord, I could use some confirmations, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just help me out here. And so about three weeks later, uh, Jennifer and I uh, drove down to Fort Mill, South Carolina. We had some friends coming up in town from Alabama, and we had a buddy that worked at that church. And so we were going to meet there and, and just hang out for the afternoon. And so Jen and I come, and she's carrying a, uh, basically Luke and the, and the carrier there. And, and when we get to the church, we walk into uh, a classroom where our friends were. They were just finishing up a, uh, basically a second year school of ministry uh, class. Okay. So there's a college at the, at the church. So we walk in the back and I remember, you know, sitting on the right side and it's a pretty big room. And, uh, my buddy David is, is, uh, up front and he's kind of holding the mic and our two friends, Ben and Julie are sitting in a chair. And, and obviously David just had them, uh, say, look, if you have a prophetic word, just share it with them. Now I realize, watch this. Some people aren't used to that kind of culture, but I'm going to show you how God works. And so, Anyway, so I'm sitting in the back, and Ben has been one of my really, really good friends for, uh, I don't know, like 22 years, okay? Now, now it's been like 22 years. So I'm sitting in the back, and I'm watching these complete strangers tell him, hey, I think the Lord says this. Hey, I think the Lord says that. They're just like practicing, right? And uh, I know that scares people, but that's okay. And, and I'm sitting in the back, and I'm just laughing because they're like spot on the money, right? Like, I mean, they're nailing it one after another, like where Ben's at in the season of life. And so I, you know, I have zero expectations in the room. I'm just enjoying the moment. And, and my buddy David says, hey, look, there's Quentin and Jen. And uh, he goes, why don't you guys come up? And I was like, so we walk up. And, and so Jen hugged, Ju hugged Julie. I hugged Ben. And, uh, and basically, Jen and Julie sat down here. There was two chairs. And then me, Ben, David all sat down. And David said, say, well, if you guys got something, give it to them. And the, then basically at that point, a guy about 35 years old in the room from South Africa, he spoke up and he said this. He said, uh, I think it's funny that no one wants to sit in the chairs. Right? So like two empty chairs. 
He said this, when, uh, he said, when I see the chairs, basically uh, I see a throne. And he said, Quentin, I want you to know that you haven't pursued it, but the Lord is about to put you in the position of a king. He's good. <laughs> right? And so what, so, so what happened, guess what, that moment, uh, and, I, and he, literally said, he literally said this, he said, so I invite you to sit in the seat. That's a step of faith, right? And so what happened in that moment, things began to shift in my head. Okay, I need, that's God talking. I hadn't said that to anybody. I don't even think she knew that I was viewing it that way. The Lord literally spoke a language about being a senior pastor that only I would know. He's cool, cool, right? And so what happened, though, from that day is it unlocked something. And then basically men that I would consider as kings started coming to my life and they started speaking into my life, not who they wanted me to be, but who they believed God was telling them I was. So they would come and they would say, hey, look, man, you know, basically the anointing is in you. God's called you to do this. You can do greater things. You, and they just started speaking stuff. And so what my point I'm trying to get at is simply this, is I had all these years trying to find approval in people, all these years of going, okay, let me, uh, you know, whatever, deal with my past, all the baggage from my family, all that crap, right? And then you go, okay, well, man, God's really anointed me. And then to go, okay, well, it's awesome. God has given me some really cool victories. And then, okay, God's given me some really cool assignments, right? Like, like, but here's the thing is none of those things healed anything in my life. None of those things helped me move forward to my identity. It wasn't until the king of kings started speaking to kings and they started coming to my life and started speaking what God saw that it began to unlock the way I perceived myself to have confidence and faith in who God has made me to do what he's called me to do. Am I making sense to you? So listen, I'm saying this today by faith in this sense that I'll say this. Last week we were sitting in here and I, and I, and I didn't say it, but... Um, I'll say it today. I, I feel like maybe there's some people, it's weird because I, I don't know about you, I see pictures in my head. And so it's like I see uh, basically a bunch of baskets and I see uh, somebody ducking behind it. Not because I know the correlation is, is out of uh, Samuel, uh, you know, basically when Saul hid. Okay? And, and I just think this is, man, that there's people in the room because you don't have the same identity, you don't see yourself like God sees you, you've been hiding in the baskets because you're so afraid to step out. And I'm just like, man, the Lord would say, hey, it's time to step out. It's time to quit hiding in the baskets. And, and, it's, and see, here's what's cool. Listen, when, when I begin to realize that I was more than what I perceived myself, guess what? Once I begin to understand that, my goals change, my words change, my visions change, my activities change, my prayers change, because I had to come in agreement with God. And I'm just saying, look, if you're going to step beyond the baskets, you, you, you got some things that need to change. Right? Because I think that, yes, I've said those things today, but the reality is, is, uh, is we've all tried to find our identity in many different things, and I hope by now you're realizing it hasn't worked. Like it's, and, and guess what? Y'all listen. You can keep trying harder. It's not ever going to work. Because the only place you can find your identity is, is in Him. Okay? So can I pray for you today? Awesome. Can you stand, please? Can I encourage some of you older guys around here and older gals? Um, I just think this. In the same way that God started bringing people into my life to help me to get where I was trying to go, God wants to use some of you. And I think some of you guys have 
Um, in fact, I actually had a conversation with a man in the church who I think is one of the greatest guys in the church. And uh, hey, and, uh, and, and I literally told him, I didn't even know you're here. And uh, so I'm picking on you now. So, but, I, but I had a conversation with him another day. I was like, man, listen, you have a lot more to give than what you think you can give. Right? In other words, you got a lot more wisdom. You got a whole lot more life experience. He's double my age. Right? So, so, so don't wait on other people to say, hey, can you come tell me what you think about me? I'm going to tell you, most people in their right minds aren't going to do that. Okay? So sometimes if you, go, if you walk in the building and you say, God, let me see what you see. Let me hear what you hear. And then you begin to look around. God will share things with you to go speak to, if you're a sage, to speak to kings. And if you're kings, to speak to other kings to help unlock their destiny in their life if you're willing to partner with the Holy Spirit in those things. Am I making sense? So I'll say this from a younger generation. We need you. Hey, listen, the younger generation does not want to run on their own. We like relay races a lot. Okay? But, but listen, you got to be willing to pass the baton. You got to be willing to trust us, but we got to be able to honor you. Yeah? So, so we need to get that generational thing down. Free thoughts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every person that's here today. God, I believe with all of my heart that you have things that you want to unlock in us. God, in fact, you have been trying to deposit things in us. And Lord, I just uh, simply go back to that moment. God, if there's anybody sitting here today that's like that person sitting at the red light and they just, man, they're distracted and they're, they're looking all different areas. Maybe they're looking in the rearview mirror. Maybe they're looking at their cell phone, seeing who's calling and seeing who's approval, seeing who's, uh, I don't know, whoever's liked their latest Instagram post or whatever. Uh, Lord, all those things that can distract us, Lord, I pray simply that we would hear the horn of the Holy Ghost kind of give us a toot and say, look, it's time to move forward. So Lord, I pray today in the name of Jesus that things that have held us back, uh, mindsets and perceptions of ourselves, God, that don't line up with you. God, we've been praying it for weeks, but Lord, I pray those things would break off of us in Jesus' name. And God, that we'd begin to find our identity and our self-worth and our value from you and you alone. So Lord, would you please forgive us for looking at other things. God, would you forgive us for trying to somehow find our identity in some title or position that we have. And Lord, help us to find it in you. So Lord, strip away all that other stuff and help us to see what you see that has eternal value. And God, help us to sink our anchors in that really deep so we can move forward in you. And uh, Lord, I just simply pray for the older men and the older women, that generation, God, that's in this room. Father, I thank you for an anointing coming upon them to be fathers in Jesus' name and to be mothers in the faith. And Lord, I pray that they would be confident in that. And Lord, that you would begin to connect them, God, with people of a younger generation. God, and that they would begin to release generational blessings and generational inheritances to them. God, I thank you for the anointing to do that upon them. God, wisdom upon wisdom, discernment upon discernment. God, to be able to do that. And so, Lord, we honor you and we simply love you today. Thank you for today. We just pray that your word would be in our hearts and you would seal it and let it produce fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.